so the current um, like alt right thing is about architecture. Turns out there's uh, like the the right invented that there's a communist conspiracy called the 15 minute city. Uh huh. That's a British thing. It was in uh, Sheffield or something. Uh, there was a big demo in Oxford. Yeah, there's a thing in Oxford, but there was an article in the Daily Mail about uh, a couple cities up north where local councils, probably labor councils, yeah, were for sure. putting forward 15 minute city plans, you know, for like walkability and reduced car traffic and this kind of thing. Uh, and there was a, a Tory MP member of parliament made a speech in the House of Commons. Mm-hmm denouncing this as basically a, a socialist plot yes of some kind uh like like basically a cons- socialist conspiracy to take a away socialist conspiracy to what though <laughs> take away our freedoms in yes, the urban space of course. <laughs> the uh the logic was uh i mean the, the there's no logic and there's no concrete uh facts um the, what if you if you listen to people in the uh, in the demo, like people were going about saying that they're gonna like force you to pay a toll when you leave your neighborhood, and everyone is gonna be turned into like local slaves or whatever. Uh, you can't leave your area, uh, like in the Middle Ages when different uh, feudal lords owned different bits of like Venice, and if you wanted to cross a bridge to another island, you would pay a toll. That that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's kind of what they're imagining is it's going to be implemented in fifteen minute city. Um, the original trolling. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly <laughs> correct. That's right. <laughs> Troll toll. Yeah. So uh, it's quite funny, but uh, I mean, from then you like obviously the uh, the 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 answer against it is like this is completely preposterous. Like you. The, the evil communist plan to make it easy for you to get out of the house and walk and make local shopping. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's very silly to me because like this is the like it, it's understandable or at least uh, not understandable, but common and expected that, for example, the, the American right would get all up in arms about something like this. Yeah. Uh, and there's like very there's very real problems in the US in terms of access to even just groceries. Yeah, everything is car. car based. Yeah. 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 I, I mean it varies. There's cities like New York is less bad, but you would expect the, the American right to say this. But I think it's completely insane that the British right would say anything like this because most of them already live in 15-minute cities. Like if you yeah. read about Americans in the U- uh, in various places in the U.S. sort of arguing for we would like better cities. They're asking for the British ones for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> so, like for the British right to have a, to, to be complaining, it's just it really like, they don't like... even know their colleagues in the U.S. They should talk to them. Maybe it, it does feel like it's an American thing. That like some yeah. like the uh, British right is kind of Americanized and is just using yeah. stuff that would be American sloganeering, but it doesn't yeah. quite work here. Well, but, but Americanized in the most superficial and idiotic way. I we, we think that they that the the British right though might have a point. 
there on is two, on yeah. two fronts. Yeah. The first front the is The grain that, of truth there. Yeah. The first mm. front is that China is right now introducing 15-minute city planning uh, as part of sure. a recent attempt to kind of uh, reform some planning design principles and deal with aging population and things like that. So, uh, you know, they have these diagrams showing distance walkability distances, different kinds of facilities for elderly people at, you know, five minutes walk from the home and this kind of thing. There it actually is a socialist plot. Yeah. To to <laughs> to make the city <laughs> improve people's lives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to reduce the impact of the free market in Chinese planning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> make the city more planned and better. Yeah. Yeah. But the second front is that it's probably, you know, just a gentrification thing in Britain, right? Uh, it's not mm. actually going to make, it's only going to make things accessible to these Tory characters anyway, who can buy up the inflated flat prices yeah, in, the, these, the, in these zones. The, the typical concern here is, and this is something that obviously the right doesn't think about, but unfortunately the liberal response also doesn't think about, which is like this logic of organizing, the 15-minute city is not a new concept. It's like, it's, it's like a uh, more than 100-year-old concept of it, it's kind of an, uh, building up on a more than 100-year-old concept of the neighborhood unit, like organizing organizing the city at the, at, at the level of neighborhood units and London, the reconstruction of London after World War II, the Abercrombie plan was, uh, is based on the na- on neighborhood units. Yeah. London is a city of villages as they like to say. Right. Yeah. Uh, like I live in a neighborhood unit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and most people do, but the, um, the issue is that when you start thinking about stuff like, pedestrianizing, cycling ways, and blah, blah, blah. You're either thinking about like a systemic logic of urban planning um, where you're thinking about local populations, or you can easily just as well be doing like a very partial localized interventions and and end up really just using these logics of supposedly making the city better and, and making the city better at the local level but for as part of a regeneration plan that gentrifies the area, yeah. that is increasing the land values. And in fact, when we're talking about the neoliberal market, the real estate market, it's almost kind of inevitable that if you make an area better, yeah. the land values will increase and the population that lives there is going to have to go away and be replaced. Like you yeah. can't make something better. Especially not in these like small focused uh, yes. kind of zones. Yeah, And obviously... Sure. When we're talking about 15 minute city, we're not talking just about pedestrianizing and cycling. It need you need to do, deal with like invest substantially in public transportation, which is something that obviously the UK is not doing, and the Labour councils yeah. are not doing either. You're right that there is a grain of truth in this, uh, because yeah, uh, under the current system, especially in the UK, which is much further along than other countries, there is no way to make something better without ruining the workers lives <laughs> yeah yeah like it's, it's just not happening you would need a much larger more systemic change driven by workers to even get close yeah to, to yeah. hope to get close and, and thankfully like there's a strike wave like some <laughs> things are happening in that direction
Welcome everyone. Street Sweeper Pod back with part two. Yeah, this part two of our interview with our friend Lucci, who is a game developer and uh, the secretary of the UK uh, Game Workers Union, the branch, whatever. And uh, first part, we talked about labor issues, uh, unionizing, blah, 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 in the Parallel game sector and in architecture. And the architecture now we're going to be talking about actual architecture or not so much uh, in video games and stuff. And the true meaning of art. So <laughs> let's go. Even like, perhaps less specifically, the economics are usually expansion for the sake of it. For right. Mostly. Yes. Yes. Right. Because this is the, the the trend games have. Right. Even RPGs have this problem of oh, you you have you gain a level and then what now? Well, something has to still be challenging <laughs> to you. So then everything has this tendency to inflate. Right. Uh, up to the point where the game scales with multi- you. Right, and if it's if it's especially if it's a multiplayer game, the inflation has to be somewhat fun for other people too. Right, and at some point it becomes unmanageable because the numbers get ridiculous. Right, and nothing makes sense anymore. And then World of Warcraft does a a compression of levels, and every eight yeah. level ninety becomes level sixty again. Yeah, but like th- th- this problem is kind of inherent in the idea that games tend to have progression of some kind, like yeah. you're going on a whatever hero's journey or not, it's still a from something to something more or perceived to be more. And the city builders are kind of, kind of assume that like, Oh, that's, that's what you do. You make a bigger one. That's, that's your goal. And everything else is, is, is kind of simulated in such little detail that you can't really use it to gain any, like you, you can't simulate something else. It's not just that the cheating is built in so ba- so so deeply that it's not, in fact, even how neoliberal capitalism works. It's right. how it's like it's it basically it has the con- the the conclusions baked in as opposed to them being emerging from behavior. Right. But it's it's like beyond that, they are very ideological. You're saying, oh, what? Uh, here's a communist one. Well, yes, because all of these implicit in their mechanics is ideology. Like the fact that in, in city skylines, you can't make a walkable city if you want. Even if you want to, it has to have cars. Now you, walk, now you can because things. they came out the, 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 like the last expansion or two expansions ago sure. was walkable cities, which which then you look at it and it's literally just gentrification. <laughs> right, and it's not, it doesn't even work right. Like now you can do bicycles, actually... but also everything is like... This is a an upzone twee part of town. <laughs> well, and it's it's. I think it's not even walkable cities because a city and you can walk in implies that the economics of the city don't necessarily require cars for everything, and they haven't done that. Right. You can't. You you still can't make your city use trains for everything and people walk around and use their bikes. Right. That that still doesn't work. Um, so there's like these these so you don't shortcuts get take... over this kind of this level of planning. No, yeah, because these you can games, you can plan right? buzz lines, buzz routes, but it's assumed that the car is the baseline. Yeah, like so if you like don't Ameri- connect something to American a road, city. yeah, exactly. If you and don't connect yes, something to exactly. a road, it doesn't work. Yeah, right. 
and of course, I, yeah, the, these games are all American, and therefore, it's it's literally the worst kind of city you can possibly imagine because it's an American city. It's not even a capitalist European city. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, kind of. It, it's it's funny actually. The the makers of City Skylines, I think, are not American, but they still made the American city because it, the SimCities was their was their base. Yeah, I think they're Finnish. But the popularity of of train logistics games, yeah. various kinds, you'd think that they would cross o- cross that over, and there'd be a more public infrastructure focus somehow. Sort of. I, I think there's like this is it's a lack of imagination to think of it holistically, like a Marxist might, for example. There's this. Oh well. In in architecture discussion, we reject out of hand any question of it being a failure of imagination. Normally, <laughs> normally we don't accept that as the explanation of anything. Imagine, when imagination is the solution, a... when imagination plays a part, it is by default already a failure. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, it's just a typical, typical uh, uh, argument that designers make that emphasizes their professional agency as the solution sure. to any problem. Yeah, and, and and to be fair, game designers, uh, I'll, I'll tread carefully as I have some that are friends, have this <laughs> tendency too to make things that are satisfying to them intellectually, uh, but are entirely silly and impractical. They have done too much creativity and too much imagination right. for anyone to have fun playing that or, or for the game to make money at all. Like. Mm. That's that's quite common too. A designer might come up with something that is so expensive that the game couldn't possibly break even. Right. Uh, but I mean, I, I think that the, what I mean by failure imagination is is not even imagining what would the world be like if it was different. Like it's difficult to even imagine. Oh, I, I mean, maybe I don't need roads. So the games that are different, like the like the train focused ones or whatever. They are very focused on one thing because it's hard to make a big thing. So you end up with these that are kind of, they reveal something. It's like, oh, most of these other games aren't really considering that trains are good or efficient or whatever. And they can also be fun to build. And here you go. But they end up being just that, just a slice of it. Just a niche Whereas the, train game. Exactly. Whereas the popular stuff doesn't really learn from that because... To learn, you would have to re-examine why did you even make the road requirement for, for like the 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 landfill to function in the game, you know. Hmm. So you you would have to understand why did why were those the choices you made, and then you'd have to re-examine what environment did you live in, and why do you make these assumptions, and why is the world around us what it is and not something else. And furthermore, how could we possibly change it? And that's a lot of steps to, to go from, uh, well, I'll just make the thing that is a slight derivative or I will make the niche thing. Hmm. I think you're right, though, that the popularity of these games reveals some sort of interest in changing the city, yeah. even if the games that are available to play for the most part are performing some kind of uh, repetition or like uh, 
imitation of the existing city. But people are playing these games not because they want to simulate neoliberalism, but because they want some degree of planning. They want yes. to experience some right. degree of planning. <laughs> yeah, they, they would like some filtered version of planning. And they don't necessarily understand the difference between neoliberalism and planning. Right. So they're given some neoliberal planning and they and what the part that they are doing is the planning part. The neoliberal part is the, the game code. Yeah, <laughs> is, yeah. the, is the is the conditions for planning that the game imposes on them. But at yeah. least they're doing the planning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people are doing interesting things and sort of further faking away from the games fakery, basically, or in opposition to it. They're trying to make well. What if I could make all the roads be underground, and then I can just put trains everywhere, and the things still work but they're not visible, so whatever. So, or, or what if I could make buildings in a mod that, that service a certain need, even though they look like something else, so that I can then make this kind of planning and then make a video about it or whatever. So that there's definitely like this, a tool that's immediately in, insufficient um, because as much as some of these games are really loved, especially these kind lines. If you watch anyone doing it on YouTube or streaming, they're just constantly complaining about it. <laughs> but this, that, that is kind of a general rule for all video games, right? Sure. Like and you, to some if extent, you, if you're cool. selling your own playing of a game, you're, number one, trying to do something different from what other people do with the same game because you're in a market. Of yeah. people playing that game, Unless and, it's and just also a kind of thing, or like let's play. Yeah, and so you're in a constant like you you have a relation you have, you necessarily develop a love hate relationship with the game because you're constantly trying to force it in a certain way. Mm. Yeah, you're right. It's not necessarily unique to the city building stuff. To me, it seems a bit more common and obvious mm. for people to be. Like very directly struggling against right. the, the limitations sort of, the of game. yeah, but uh, that that happens in other genres for sure as well. I guess, yeah, I guess in between that drive to try and make it different than what the game says it's supposed to be, like, and the obvious way in which it relates to real life. Hmm. I mean, you if you're playing like God of War, as you said, or Dark Souls. And you're trying to push the gameplay to the limits of what the game was designed to do. Sure, that's like cool because you're like, you're, it's like it's the mastery of the material type of thing. Like, I'm a master of this material, and I'm I'm a craftsman at playing this game. Look at my erudition, yeah. right? But there is no direct connection to lived experience of normal people. Whereas if you're playing as a, a, a city planner, you're literally doing the same thing as the Dark Souls player, but at the same time, you're also projecting different what conditions wherein people could live. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 very obvious in the kind of content made. Like there's speedruns, like you're saying, you you are excellent at this game. You're you're finding ways to bend and break. To, to get an even faster play through it. And that's this whole thing, and it's kind of interesting. But you're right, it's, it's a rarely thing. is the subject matter of the game something so 
directly related to your experience. Right. Yeah, there isn't really a social implication to right. the speedrun. Right. Well, apart from games that simulate design somehow, there's also just the design of environments and the spatial organization of mm. games. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is... It is interesting to me that that most people th- and and I think of architecture as as the what what something looks like, and the two of you always lament that it is what has it has become as opposed to something more interesting and useful. And the, when people talk about it in games, that's kind of what they talk about. Oh, this this game look has that look, gives you that feel, whatever. Purely from an art point of view. Yeah, and right. you, and you see this a lot in terms of concept art so that's stuff that artists draw very early on in the development of a game to sort of establish uh, a direction a feel for things uh, at a visual level mostly at a visual level yes uh, and it ends up being there's always something that's a little that attempts to be unique to that game so if you, you you've probably noticed this in games where there's this particular game really loves this kind of triangular shape in buildings and it's everywhere, even though it makes no sense, but it's like that because it was yeah. in some concept and it was, this is how the game brands it. Halo wouldn't right. work without the, those triangles. Yeah. That sort of thing. Trying to create um, their unique style. basically. Yeah. Yes. Which is basically the superficial aspect of architecture. You bemoan, but there's, there's the more interesting one, which is level design. Um, and there's a long history of this. Um, and again, for, for, I've learned from the two of you in terms of how a space is used is a large part of what it arguably should be if, if this was not uh, sort of at, at the end of neoliberal decay and nothing made any sense anymore. <laughs> and I think Counter-Strike is probably the, the most obvious, sort of most studied example. Hmm. And it's a game about shooting people competitively shooting each other so that means there's a it's, it ends up being a sport like this there's a whole thing about being really really good at it which means it pushes the edges of what's possible but that means for level designers it doesn't really matter what a thing looks like to a great degree what does matter is how people are forced to use it or how they get to use it so when you when you make a level you have to think about sight lines where can you shoot from where from uh, where and where are the objectives where the people come from uh, and then a change to a design after people play it might be oh we're going to close this one off but open this other one off that's more challenging to use and thus creates more interesting gameplay so i think this is this is much more interesting uh, yeah in that sense because in that case, kind of practical test yeah there's 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 functional there's 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 con- conditioning of user behavior through spatial yeah. organization, which is obviously something that is key to architecture. Um, yeah. And in that specific case, like what you're describing is essentially space syntax. <laughs> like hmm. level design for competitive shooters is space syntax. It's uh, thinking about uh, space through sightlines. This is literally a, a specific formal uh, mode of analysis of architecture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so yeah and then I mean obviously our experience with n- neither of us do uh, 
competitive shooters. <laughs> but the Dark Souls example is interesting for us because the intricacy of the design of the level of the intricacy of the level design on I mean Dark Souls has a very strong visual architecture component of stylistic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's also part of what architecture is. That's important too, but it's it's far from what's relevant for us. Yeah. Uh, but Dark Souls is interesting in the sense that it actually has, it really carefully designs how you navigate space in a in a way that allows you to construct like a mental map and slowly learn how uh, different areas are interconnected and organized and constantly be finding different forms of navigating space, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that, which obviously is a spatial sort of quasi-architectural component that matches the, the play style of the combat itself, which is also about learning what the game gives you. Yeah. You're learning how a boss behaves, but you're also learning how the space behaves. Yeah, there's the a similarity there. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The entire, the entirety of the challenge is sort of this balance between surprise and practice. Yes, because right. you can absolutely, if you're good at it, you don't have to get hit. Uh, but you have to become good, not just mechanically in the sport sense, but also to know what is there right. to not be surprised. Because if yeah. you are surprised, it's the kind of game where anything can kill you. And that is very important to to the entirety of it. That the, the whole the feeling that players experience is entirely due to that in, in these kinds of games. Yeah. yeah. And and sure, the, the visual thing helps. Like in Bloodborne, it's much more important, if anything, because the whole thing with werewolves and sort of quasi-British uh, uh, villages and cities is is a is a big part of the the vibes, the fiction. The, but it's still, again, it's the mechanics of it are very much intertwined with how it's built. And this is, uh, this is quite old, actually. Probably a, an older example is the Metroidvania genre. Like yeah, Metroid yeah, yeah. and Castlevania had this kind of thing in 2D. Yeah. yeah. It, kind of, it has the feel like the, one of these Metroidvania Dark Souls 1 type maps has the feel of a, a really well-executed architecture student project. Right. <laughs> because one of the challenges you have as an architecture student doing design without a lot of practical, structural, technical considerations is just working with space and form as such and working with a project where everything has to be interconnected and fit together as a whole. That's kind of yeah, like how you're cool. dealing with the problem of the building. Like in a, in a Metroidvania level, you can't just have unrelated areas that you could you basically teleporting back and forth from they like each space sort of imposes itself on the other spaces because in theory it's just one continuous space yeah not a being a, a type of the type of video game that doesn't have load the yeah, load, exactly. load, load uh, zones is, is is important yeah everything really needs to match match and that's yeah. that's like a sort of part of the building blocks of how what architects do at the technical level. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, this is still in the realm of being like mastery of form, right? Yeah. Which is still, like, even though this is more architect 
more architecture than just the visual design of making intricate Gothic uh, environments at the stylistic level, which itself also obviously requires a lot of architectural knowledge. And there's architects working in studios doing this, right? Yeah. Uh, like you need to know a lot about Gothic architecture to be able to manipulate it and stretch it and uh, even uh, like exaggerate it in ways that make those fantasy versions of that feel kind of real in a sense. Yeah, and historically, uh, like there have been periods when this basically was architecture to a large extent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like playing around with the language of architecture yes. was what architects did. Yeah, what video game architects at the level of the style are doing is essentially uh, the the eclectic uh, moment yeah. in Western romantic uh, yeah. romanticism, right? This is in that style. This is in that style. This is in that style. It needs to be convincing and work together, but also, but you also break the rules in sort of yeah. postmodern ways, like uh, yeah, etc. That all that all. But our fundamental concern, obviously, systematically in our podcast that we're constantly talking about, is how there is a kind of regression of the very concept of architecture for architects in the twentieth century. Um, in the in in, uh, in the late twentieth century, 20th century yeah. the ar- architecture moves forward from being about uh, mostly about these issues. At, during the nineteenth century, it's a process, obviously, but the twentieth century is really the radical moment when, due to political and economic realities, uh, architecture stops being about building churches and palaces and starts being about building the built environment for the entirety of the population of a society. Um, and obviously we're constantly like trashing the radical, supposed radical critique of this as being, oh, architecture is totalitarian now. It's how dare yeah. architects design the built environment for the entire population of a society. <laughs> how totalitarian is that? Leave the workers be and only design palaces like before. That would be much better and much more democratic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously we're constantly trashing that. Um, but uh, as an effect within which this radical critique appears, but at the same time as the neoliberal uh, reform is imposed in capitalism, in Western capitalism, architecture does move back into palaces and, uh, and churches, even if they're not strictly palaces and not strictly churches, right? Like there's no public housing anymore. And architecture needs to produce a striking visual, needs to produce effectively visual branding in the built environment, so that it can, as 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 essentially a sort of a source of surplus value in the real estate market, even though we are not building necessarily better houses yeah. at a spatial level, you you probably are because there's technological developments as well. But most of the increase in prices in real estate are not justified by increased costs of production because houses are better at all. They're purely speculative and architectural, visual. Mm-hmm. The, architect, the, the, the social function of architects in neoliberalism is to produce visual surplus value for the real estate market. Mm-hmm. And therefore, architects start thinking much more in concept artists for video games terms about their own discipline and much less in terms of how do I optimize the use of resources and space in working class housing so that I can social utility for Mike. Yeah, exactly. And social housing or public schools or 
hospital and hospitals and healthcare centers and all of the programs that are that define the contemporary the the welfare state or the socialist. You also you also get these like peculiar stylistic fixations, like a certain kind of brick facade with certain kinds of colors and certain kind of windows. Like there's a there's a, a British kind of generic new development yeah. style now that has a lot of brick and a kind of quasi-rationalist kind of rectilinear yeah. aesthetic. And some 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 areas like there's a development near Canning Town in, in uh, northeast London uh called city island which looks when you're there like it has a bunch of high-rise condo buildings they're all rendered in kind of like brick i don't know if it's brick like to what extent it's just veneer panels or it's actual bricks, brick, yeah. um in in different colors but the place looks like you're in second life or something it looks like a <laughs> like a like a virtual fake city uh, and it is just a speculative real estate yeah. development yeah. at the same time. So it's there's almost like a architecture imitating video games, imitating architecture yeah. vibe to some of this stuff. Yeah, which makes sense because it's kind of artificial profits through yeah. uh, real estate speculation. And it's also increasingly like artificial architecture because it, you don't really need yeah. people to live in them either, right? Yeah. I went to... I went and to, I think eventually because... that that translates somehow into the look of the whole thing. <laughs> I went to this place because there's an art gallery there. I was going to an opening. The art gallery specializes actually in digital art, like like online and digital, often like virtual reality related stuff. The gallery is called Arbeit. Arbeit, like the German word for work. But it's spelled A-R-E- B Y T E. Bite. R bite. <laughs> so the whole thing is like a, a perfect kind of Gesamtkunstwerk <laughs> of uh, digital architecture insanity. We were talking uh, about like uh, what is real and what is art. Um, and this, I think, this is another, it's another case where games are forced to be a bit more honest than architecture because they're closer to reality. Because not only are these things called the right things, so like there's the concept artist, there's the 3D artist that is making the stuff that's visual, but also it's, they, start, they, they don't look as silly as, as the, the, the real stuff. Like if you look at Battersea... <laughs> It looks ridiculous. Like you were saying, it looks like it's out right. of the game. But if right. you look at the actual games, someone has to play in them, even though like the scale might be off or the camera, the way it works, like if it's a 3D, if it's a third person one, then the space is going to, the doors are going to be massive because the camera has to go through them or whatever. Mm. Even so, they end up looking more like a real place a lot of the time <laughs> because simply because somebody has to play in them. You have to interact with it, otherwise nobody bothers buying it, and you can't yeah. make money. Whereas the the architecture doesn't have to care as much. In some way, designed with the user in mind. Yeah, the, the, and the architecture is designed with the investor in mind. Yeah. yeah, like these buildings are being built with the assumption that not that many people will, will ever actually be there. Whereas games, yeah. they think, okay, there's going to be, you know, thousands upon thousands, you know potentially millions of people moving through this space, <laughs> even if yeah. virtually. 
Yeah, you, often you you fail if you if you can't get millions of people through it. And yeah, sure, there's all <laughs> sorts of that door. <laughs> yeah, and and often yeah, there there's like weird constraints that are anti-user because that makes more money or because it's the sure. fashion or yeah. because somebody sold <clears throat> some stupid concept based on speculation. But all of those things kind of fall to the wayside relatively quickly mm. because the cycle is so fast and there's so much stuff that you have to to sell games to players eventually. Right, right, right. And you're actually making an interactive space. Like you were saying earlier, oh, it's part of how you you like you design a space for use. For games, it's a bit it's a bit further than that because you design the way you the interactions are also something you choose. Like for our, with architecture, you don't get to choose them. People ha- are the shape they are, and they do the things they do. Yeah, architecture is only so much you can change them. User, which is like the human society. Yeah, exactly. Whereas in games, often, yeah, sure, you it, it you can't you can't be too alienating. You can't make something that's too different from hu- from human reality. But to a large extent, you get to choose the rules, which means. It matters even more sometimes what space you're making because it might not make sense with different rules of interaction. I mean, like different promotion or whatever. I guess our take on this is that level of freedom is one of the key things in which, like architecture in video games, is somehow closer is 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 closer to the architecture as it is present in architectural education, but way further away from what architecture actually is and kind of should be like what is specifically what is specific about architecture is exactly that you are trying to solve actual real problems um you're not choosing and coming up with the problems like they're social problems of of program and use and you need to come up with solutions to that and creativity is the capacity to deal with this problem, these multitude of problems, and in a in a kind of a cohesive manner that is like effective and efficient at the same time, uh, in a very kind of to put it a very dry way, uh, like the point of architects and what architects need to learn, which is not exactly what they are learning now, is how to manage to figure their way out of what the problems that society throws at them. Uh, if you can invent your own problem and then invent a solution to the problem, which is systematically how yeah. neoliberal academia <laughs> sells itself as like something good, like in, you're, in academia, you don't need to worry about real life. You can be yourself and express yourself and like create your own conditions for your own project. That's bad. I don't want you to. I don't want architects to learn how to do that because that's the, <laughs> like objectively speaking. Given that access to higher education is class restricted, what that ends up being is upper middle class people projecting themselves as imagination on the social whole, and that's not good. That's usually bad. <laughs> Upper middle class people should not yeah. have freedom of expression, <laughs> <laughs> and certainly not as architects designing built environment for the working class and everyone else. Well, yeah, the thing is that they're not, they're never in this mode, which is close to video game design, where you create your own problem and create the solution. There is no practical end game where it will be imposed on society. Yeah, it's a purely academic 
world. It's a, it is literally like a kind of a game within academia. Yes. It's competitive. There's an internal market. There's an internal rules which are being invented and reinvented by different people competing against each other. In, in many ways, it, it literally is a kind of virtual gaming architectural reality. Right. Just as an academic market. Right. Uh, separate from the building sector and the, the housing market or whatever. Right. Even though it does serve the housing market as, as such as it is in the sense of producing the, the concepts for future surplus value generation. Yeah, there's some there's some tether, there's some relationship between that. There is like a an avant-gardism of real neoliberal housing yeah. dynamics. But increasingly it's being untethered, I think. Yeah. From this. And it functions in the culture market is something we yeah. come back to. And and something oh, that we're we're always uh, concerned about is the way that this mediates legitimate political opportunities for in architecture or like what kind of politicization there could be in architecture. And this is often just like a kind of uh, negative politicization or like destructive ideological bafflement or, or a kind of, uh, yeah, like ideological reactionary takeover. Right. That posing as something alternative or, or uh, transformative. Yeah, so, in, so yeah, in a sense, architecture students tend in first world academia tend to be essentially pushed into designing a video game space as a kind of an alter, a project for an alternative lifestyle of some kind. Well, this is a big area of interest for a lot of architecture students right now when jobs in the construction industry hmm. are fewer, the gaming industry seems to be growing. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's to what extent it's growing right now, but uh, relative to architecture, it seems like a, a <laughs> sure. <to> students. <laughs> I think and they see that people... says a lot more. Sorry, I was going to say that says a lot more about architecture than games. I think right, right, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and architecture students, some some subset of architecture students see gaming as an area for for architectural production, so they're they're thinking about this as a career after architecture, or they're trying to come up with disciplinary arguments in their history and theory classes that make a case for architecture and video games somehow, right. um, or for different kinds of augmented reality or uh, VR stuff. But I mean, often it's just like mumbo jumbo tech, tech bro, uh, abstract discourse about just like, the latest thing, but in architecture, or the architecture of the latest thing, right? Uh, but sometimes it, it's more directed to something actually real, like video. <laughs> well, no, I, 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 I always get every every year I get students who, are, who their interest is in architect, architecture and video games, and they like actually want to do that as a. And they're trying right, to sure. think of reasons because it's a history right. theory class. They want to write about this and make some sort of argument about how right. this is the future of the architectural discipline. Is to make video games. Is to make video games. <laughs> or to make virtual spaces in general, but in practical terms for sure. video games because that's the market for... But then there's a new market of building just actual like architecture that is only in the virtual world with a real estate market 
in uh, virtual world whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that's not really I can just sell a house now that I don't have to build. Yeah. It's just yeah. that I that's, just sell the model for the price of the actual house. But this this is that crossover. I was like we were talking before about how games are more real than architecture because architecture as a physical asset can have a more speculative value than games. Right. Which yeah. rely on the use value of playability. Yeah. And are not, not speculative properties. Right. Uh, but things like the metaverse, to what, to what extent are there or were there attempts to make like NFT type <laughs> NFTs in games? And did they ever have an architectural quality? Kind of like so probably the biggest thing sort of adjacent is Second Life. I don't mm-hmm. know how much you know about it, but right. it was kind of explicitly... It's multiplayer the of... same Sort of. It was... It's really... It's just an MMO in a lot of ways. But with the crucial difference that players could program quite a bit of it. So you could, like, make an object in the world and you could have a 3D model for it or whatever. And then you could write behavior for it. And then you could sell your object for in-game currency to other players or license it or whatever. Um, And there was like a legitimate small market of this kind of thing. where there were Everyone was selling sex mods. A lot of sex uh, (laughs) happened. It's the most famous for that, which to be fair, that's what a lot of people did. But it was like, this was way before NFTs had even been like right. Right. Uh, remotely conceived. Uh, but this was kind of happening. Like there was this idea of, oh, what about housing and scarcity of which kind of didn't ultimately matter. And then what about intellectual property? Because you could design a thing and people would just buy it and there's no production costs, which is already the case for games. So like it's, it's a debate that died quickly, but it, in the media it kept going. Hmm. Uh, but the sort of NFT VR side of it, the very recent one with Facebook and such, is kind of routinely mocked even by gamers, not just game developers, and has been from the from the beginning, from the moment it came out. And this is kind of interesting, as as kind of a often as horrible gamers can be, for various reasons that are socially interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's a certain amount of, of sort of acumen or I don't know what you'd call it intuition for, for the utility of a thing and it was instantly obvious to most gamers that the whole metaverse thing was insane and stupid <laughs> and also that selling NFTs in it is even stupider uh, because right. people who've played like you it doesn't. There's like not that many degrees of novelty from what already existed. There were already VR games that were fun to play. It had become a somewhat known quantity. What is it like to be in VR? Like, sure, some people get sick. There's these limitations. This is this this is what's cool about it. These are the kinds of experiences you can make. And furthermore, these are the kinds of games that actually sell in VR. Like there were that was relatively well known, and also. Separately, here's what happens on Facebook, like interacting with people supposedly in the real world online. 
So it, it was ridiculous on its face. Like, why would you get in VR? A VR headset is like a super hardcore gamer thing. Yeah. To then buy an NFT, which is like people make mods for games all the time. Why on earth would you do anything like that? And also there's game developers that make entire games that you can just pay normal money for. So why would you do any of this? Like It made no sense to anyone because but it, it, for it better was... or for worse... Go ahead, sorry. No, for better or for worse, there's, there is, in fact, like it sounds ridiculous. Again, there is this connection between the use of it that is very close. There's only so much hype Connect could have from Microsoft before it was obvious that it wasn't that useful because you, you use it because it's based on novelty and playing the thing that's new. And you have to play it, otherwise it's not there. It doesn't exist. What is Connect again, sorry? Oh, sorry. It's like this... Uh, so before VR, Microsoft made this thing where it would have a camera with infrared, uh, and you could use your body as a controller, that sort of thing. Okay, right. So uh, like this is a, a, like a hype thing. Some utility to it, not so much for games in practice, it turns out. Uh, a lot of people mocked that too, just like they mocked the VR stuff later. Um, but uh, the, the, these cycles happen, but they have to hit the reality of people won't play my game. Right. For the biggest publishers. Yeah, yeah the, uh, the metaverse stuff has a very strong feel of like boomer discovers thing that kids have known for 20 years. And makes a boomer version of it, which is like shit, but but can sell to other boomers because they also don't know what kids know. <laughs> but I, it has a, it's basically the same feeling you get when you look at uh, when you look at Elon Musk tweeting. Mm. It's like he discovered he's discovering all of the Twitter things now that are like ten years old already. And he's doing the meme, ten-year-old like memes and shit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he's extremely yeah. boomer. Uh, like the the cool. Like he's supposed to be playing the character of the cool, up-to-date uh, captain of industry. Yeah. He's supposed to be the innovator. But everyone sees that he, he's twenty years behind. <laughs> yeah. In the thing that he's supposed to be, like this the specialty of that they're supposed to be, right? And. Um, yeah, like I, I guess architects also felt feel that more or less instinctively the metaverse, the bullshitness of the metaverse because it has this, this whole like let's make a virtual world. I think architects are split on this. I think some architects. Yeah, some are trying to get into the market. Yeah, they they see this as like oh great, this is new territory. I can go and make money there. They might be skeptical. I mean, and, and I think these people are not necessarily architects, but people concerned about ever being architect sure or i think this is like a student position to be in where you're you're entering the discipline without knowing much about it probably and it's reality material realities right realities of professional practice of labor whatever work in i also think it's largely academic architects that are right buy into these things yeah because yeah, they're yeah. they're always looking for their the next for the um, next bracket yeah exactly <laughs> and there's def there are definitely you definitely see classes that are teaching or, or doing you the, know, the current architecture of video games, uh, like studio units in architecture schools. I remember there was one back in the University of Toronto when I was a student there that was, uh, yeah, like the architecture and video games. Right. I remember that sounds of, like... 
I remember my reflex is to assume it's shit. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I remember that 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 uh, one of the teachers of that had a had a rule that like it didn't count as a thesis as a as a real thesis in architecture if it couldn't be patented. What? That was that was one of his rules with his students. <laughs> like you had to, and he, he was really like a tech kind of gizmo. Okay. You had to come up with some kind of tech innovation. <laughs> I remember thinking at the time, like, what does this mean, architecture of video games? Does this literally just mean designing the spaces of video games, like level design? Is it and and is it necessary? Like, do all games have this kind of straightforward spatialized? imitation of the physical racial world and i remember thinking like could you design video games that have no spatiality at all what would that even be like how would that work i don't know there's there's video games without graphics like there's text video games but usually there's space yeah there's space implicit and there's there's like video games with no sight at all like for bl- that's blind people can play as well, hmm. uh, but again there's spatiality because it is you can hear something positioned to your right or your left or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I I would my guess is that it's such an inherent human thing that it would be so alienating to not have it. Nobody would bother with it. Nobody would even understand what it what to do. It's not just human. It's like it's the structure of the universe has space and time. <laughs> I sure. guess ryth- rhythm games, another U of T teacher back then would say that architecture is the space between notes. Oh, God. <laughs> I hate these types. <laughs> these are the worst. <laughs> it's a good thing about my conservative uh, Beaux-Arts uh, Porto education that all of this shit was just like, not allowed. I feel like you could have a... <laughs> A character like that. You would have some like wackier characters. I mean, even the mainstream would be like the conservative version of that because architecture is itself a con. Um, so the uh, the technical crafts masters that were teaching design and stuff would say stuff like uh, like there's a, a particularly quotable sentence that everyone they all keep quoting the old timers of uh, one of the Old, old architects from the modernist period who was the least modernist of them all and made a transition into critical regionalism in Porto that was canonized as some kind of big name, grandfather of the school. And the, he said the sentence once that beautiful are the trees, but more beautiful is the space between them. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like the, the yeah, mythos yeah. of architecture being conveyed to the students right there. And yeah. <laughs> and that, wow. Yeah, you can't get away with that in games for sure. <laughs> <laughs> if you try to sell the space between things, it's not going to sell. <laughs> but capitalism would love to sp- start selling the space between things. Beautiful are the it. platforms, but more beautiful still the space that you jump uh, <laughs> between. Mm. Yeah. Well, if they're too close, there's no challenge. Maybe there's some truth to this. <laughs> But it is, I mean, it's kind of this weird thing, though, with that this keeps happening, this kind of sort of, I don't know, cannibalism, I don't know what you call it, this thing that turns in on itself into complete bullshit, 
in, in like every industry to some extent. Like the, the whole meta thing is, is a bit weird because we all know people who were kind of hired by Facebook out of the game industry to work on this. And right. they all say when they're not like secretly, they tell everyone else that it's complete bullshit. This is insane, but they pay so much. Why not? Uh, but, but then like this, to go back to the other example, Tesla is basically that too. They sometimes make cars that don't kill people, but that's like a minority of what the function of Tesla is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's still a difference between Tesla or Facebook, which I'm going to put in the same at the same level here because they're the same a, kind of thing. For there sure. is a product with a use value. There's just a market valuation of the product that is completely independent of that use yes. value. So it, it function, it's essentially you have a real thing that functions as the tip of a pyramid scheme that you build downwards, yeah, yeah. but you still need the real thing. But then Facebook you enter is, the metaverse. Facebook is different than... than no, Facebook Tesla. still has a huge value. Like yeah, people, yeah. people are connecting with each other. Like it, it was successful because it had a huge value, even if it's just software. And it, and and it still does. Like it's, yeah. It still has a use value. Just yeah. the list of of people you have met is an important thing. Yeah, the commercial model is based on advertising, which is different than the Tesla. The commercial model is based. No, on the, the commercial model of Facebook is based on the pyramid, a financial pyramid scheme, premised on advertising. Yeah, but the, the pyramid scheme is far bigger than the. I know, but what I'm saying is, at the bottom of the pyramid scheme is advertising. There's a use value, but they're not selling the use value. It's. There's a use value. They're selling people's attention to advertisers. And then they're selling that the potential for advertising, uh, the potential of that advertising space to the financial sector. There's a a two-step thing there. No, but I I think you're you're right, Will. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) No, but I'm I'm saying that... Oh, you're both right. (laughs) But I'm saying that the, the amount of money... It, on Facebook is far bigger than yeah, yeah, yeah. the uh, advertising money. It's it's a pyramid scheme in, in it's in the financial sector. I'm just trying to say that has, speculating on the potential amount of future advertising money Absolutely. that might be there. But Tesla's at least forced. Tesla is more straightforward in the sense that theoretically they're producing and selling cars. Yeah, and then they still still somehow. But but the operative cars. distinction that I'm trying to make is between these two things that are still premised on some real money entering the system. And then are selling the potential of future money much bigger than it actually is, and that's a, pyramid, a, a, a speculative pyramid scheme. I'm separate. The operative distinction is between that in which both Tesla and Facebook would fall, and metaverse, which literally has no concrete product with a use value in the, at the top of the pyramid. It's just the, the, the pyramid is just built on an idea that has no use value. Or more specifically, NFTs. Like, there's nothing there. There's yes. no use for anyone yes. well, or anything. They all they all rest on the use value of, of it as an aesthetic object. That you buy the board. But you can just copy but it. But everyone store. knows that they don't because yeah, like everyone knows you that you just copy it. Yeah, like yeah. it's it, no no no. There's no such thing as an aesthetic value of an NFT necessarily. The yeah. NFT is completely independent of aesthetic value. 
like and the monkeys are one thing, but when we're talking about like selling a tweet, which is a whole famous story, like someone yeah, sold yeah. Their, like their first tweet, yeah, yeah. and that's like that, there's no aesthetic value there. That was Dorsey, was it? Uh, whatever. We're not talking about any inherent value to the thing. It's just like I decided that this was going to have a price in the market. So if you buy it for that price, it may get a higher price in the future, and it's just it's yeah, completely yeah. you just invent value. No, and, and and NFTs are at the absolute avant-garde limit of what art could possibly be as the independence of exchange yes. value from use value. Yes. Yeah, they've, yeah, they've yeah, figured out how to absolutely exactly. eliminate use value. And as critics, as, as critics of art ourselves, yeah, we, who would say that art, to a significant extent, always was NFTs? Just that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sure. No, and it's why it's it's partly why it's marketed as this is what artists this is how artists keep their independence they can sell things but there's is an easy way to prove it's bullshit because it's Twitter's full of of people copying others NFTs as their as their uh, like profile image and then the people who bought the NFT complaining about it like how dare you use my NFT and the other person yeah, saying yeah. well. I don't care. <laughs> Here's proof right. that your NFT is worthless because I can keep using it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the um... they just need they just need the state to come in and like regulate this so that <laughs> that's what they would love. <laughs> anyone anyone who uses an unauthorized ape yes will be sent to prison. Basically, <laughs> well, this is actually this is how a serious you get, how thing. you get to the bottom of how like that's how property how works. property really works property. <laughs> Property works, but because there's a police, otherwise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. There's a lot of NFT people that would like it to become part of copyright laws. Right. So they would like the copyright to come with the NFT, so that right. they could genuinely do. It. But obviously, that's a direct contradiction with every other industry, which is far better funded and embedded in the states of the various countries. Right. Who? That's, why would they ever do that? Like they would just lose money. Give me a second, because I have to do another P, and I, then I want to talk about the fundamental character of art. And I, I, I want to expand on the discussion that was present several years ago. It's very outmoded now. Of like, are video games art? Oh, okay. A few moments later. The discussion on art, I find really funny in the way it intersects with video games and NFTs and tech sector stuff. The the video games debate world had a big theme several years ago on like, are video games art? And everyone was trying to get, like, obviously there's this branch of video game makers, authors, and et cetera, that basically just want to make movies, actually, but video games. And video games are trying to be movies. And then there was... Yeah, like, like films are the art model. For the model video for games. what a video game being yes. art would be is like, it's more like it's a, a film. movie. It's more like a movie, yeah. yeah. And then... That level of narrative. There's like, there was like this funny trend, there's a funny moment when people were trying to convince like famous movie critic, what's his name, that video games are art, like movies. And they were saying... No, 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 critic, not not maker. Roger Ebert. Oh, okay. yes. People are trying to convince Ebert that uh, video games are also art, like movies, and he was just like, and the only way I was actually showing him stuff, he was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
but the funny thing to me, and now the, the current discussion that crosses over into video games is the whole NFT stuff. And how they're not real art and blah, 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 right? Uh, and I, I always found it very funny as someone who like specializes in the study of like architecture and socialism, but specifically the Soviet avant-garde uh, and the way in which the avant-garde in general, not just the Soviet one, in the beginning of the 20th century, like the entire point of the artistic avant-garde of the early 20th century was basically to denounce all art as NFTs. Like that's literally what they were saying. <laughs> Like, there's no inherent aesthetic uh, quality to any art. It's, art is just a social convention defined by the art market. That's all it is. The, and famously, uh, the, the, the most u- u- typical example of this is the Rhino by um, Duchamp, Duchamp who, who, which is almost explicitly making the argument that an artwork is whatever is signed by an artist that the museum allows the artist to put inside the museum. Like the museum, it's the museum that decides what an art is. And it's completely arbitrary. Like if I can put a, a signed urinal in the middle of a museum room, I'm not turning the urinal into art. I'm denouncing art as an institution as basically just a byproduct of the capitalist art market. Yeah, they were they were kind of doing both. At the of same course, time. he was doing both, <laughs> because then all art after the avant-garde yeah. became putting urinals in museums. Yeah, <laughs> and now they were just selling urinals all the time, one after the other, with different signatures. Um, and that's the that's Berger's critique. That's Berger's interpretation of the avant-garde moment and the, his critique of the post-avant-garde moment, basically saying art is just dead. There's no more art to be done yeah, after yeah. that in original denunciation. Right. What we we live in a post-art world, <laughs> or a post-avant-garde world is also a post-art world, and what exists today is like a sort of mimic of the original relationship, but with with the original excuse turned into. The, like the critique of the original excuse has become the new excuse. So all art nowadays to be art needs to be denouncing art as such. That's the role of art is to denounce art forever art and make money out of that. Yes, somehow. exactly. Yeah. You, be, you only gain aesthetic value if you critique the inherent aesthetic value of anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and obviously what they're saying is that everything is NFTs. And all art since the early 20th century has, be, has been a critique of NFTs and a critique of art as such. So when, when the whole NFT thing came about, like from our perspective as kind of subscribers to this interpretation of the like political economy of art, <laughs> yeah. is that, okay, so they're just, it's just the same thing. <laughs> it, there's no it's substance. The there's no real difference between this and 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 real art it's just it's basically just getting over the museum and all the critiques of the nfts are the museum lobby being upset that they no longer have social monopoly on deciding what isn't isn't what art or in or, or in other words what has and doesn't have market value as art right yeah that that's that kind of meta circular argument 
it's, it's like art becomes critique of art. Uh, seems really fitting to me that a company calling itself Meta is is kind of driving this <laughs> at this point. Yeah. <laughs> and the discussion about what uh, are video games art or not seems to be like this is coming from people who haven't studied, like who don't know what art is, but from like the opposite perspective that Ebert was making like you don't understand what art is this bullshit isn't real art like a movie this has no aesthetic merit and my position is yeah they don't know what art is because if they knew what art is they would know that art today is always trying to not be art all the time so if video games are trying to be art they're the opposite of art (laughs) to be art you need to try to not be art And also, I like video games specifically because they're not art. <laughs> That's why what's good about video games. There's a funny, there's a funny movie called uh, I think it's called Achilles and the Tortoise, Takashi Kitano movie, right? Uh, where he plays an aspiring artist who undertakes increasingly eccentric, extreme, and even dangerous. Uh, art projects in order to become like a contemporary artist Mm -hmm. and he's always falling just short of producing quote-unquote art like whatever quality of novelty and contemporaneity counts would make a work of art like recognizable as art within the contemporary art industry he's always just behind that so he's always either repeating some gesture that's already happened or just falling short somehow of like what the idea of art, right. like he's, he's chasing uh, this ever retreating uh, sliver of, of uh, exchange value that's further and further receding into abstraction beyond mm-hmm. his like attempts to somehow catch it right. with his art gesture. And yeah, art, art is trying to, art succeeds at being art by, by not being itself in exactly the way, right way that proves that it is, in fact, art. Because art just is this contradiction. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's ultimately it's... just the, the spiritual essence of capitalism. Right. That's, that's like <laughs> underlies the whole thing. <laughs> like whatever that mystique is, that, that uh, uh, mystification. Yeah. Of like real material relations, right, right, right. That's right, the, the right. It's the it's that it's that little paragraph in Marx that says capitalism is good because it destroys all uh, like justifications and illusions and whatever, like religion and whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like it exposes the nakedness of economic exploitation for what it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, and yeah, like that's my Marxist hot take. Is that NFTs are cool? I, th- I think they're a, <laughs> NFTs they're are good. Riot. I think they're a laugh right. NFTs are good what? and progressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an, yeah, it's an it's, accelerationist take on them. Yeah, they are absolutely hilarious. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. Like, I, I, I would not have like it has brought me difficult to replace uh, joy the fact that these things exist <laughs> yeah. like the amount of people completely misunderstanding reality 
around this phenomenon and sort of, as you say, exposing the fact that they never truly understood how anything worked is just so funny. Um, it, it's why I like it. People are panicking about Twitter imploding, and I find that hilarious too for similar reasons because it was always <laughs> like it's the same kind of thing. It was always full of shit, it was always pointless. It was maybe funny sometimes, and that has value. And now it's even funnier. <laughs> it's so it has more value, so it's less likely yeah, to disappear. It's, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> but like, the, the whole like the whole discussion our video games are always really annoyed me because people never really explained what they thought art was. Like whenever people talked about this, they had something in their mind of what is art. And if they were to explain it, it would immediately make obvious what their take would be on what isn't like whether the games are not art. Um, And like what, how you were talking about art is it's like, it's economic function in capitalist society. And sure games are not really that because they don't really try to be that. They try to be what people used to think of as fun in what is today seen as art. And that's what games try to do. Like right. You're right. They're, they're chasing some kind of past because people understand that some things, like, sure, a lot of things were worse in the past, but this particular aspect of life was in some ways better. There was more fun in paintings and films than there is in all the sort of literal meta bullshit that happens <laughs> as, yeah. as something gets further and further commoditized for longer and longer. And it, it just seems to me that the, the underlying point of saying a game is art is like, is it fun in a, in a unique way? Like, is this game, does it, is it a unique experience? But that's not, I don't think that's what people had in mind when we were like going like is is games art. When people were going on like is games art, it's 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 a kind of an abstract notion of social prestige. Yeah. Um, Are they worthy? That's what they which, also which say has something true. which carries some kind of vague notion of like depth of meaning yeah. or something. Often premised on like the the quality of the character or whatever or or whatever is obviously the reference point is always movies uh, but maybe are games so violent they couldn't possibly be saying anything about the world or whatever that kind of take the uh the notion of doing what they do in a good interesting or novel original way it's like a different a, category, a, a different notion of what uh, what art would be. That is the PlayStation. The, the PlayStation game, PS One game, was one of my favorite games when I was like a teenager or mm-hmm. whenever it came out. And to me, that it, like it has a very strong aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, to me, it's art because it's a playing that game gives me a feeling. It's an it's an aesthetic experience. I mean, everyone knows that Super Mario is art. It's it's it, it if you define art in a kind of this is just the folk term art, not the institution of art. Yes, that we were sure. talking about earlier. Like if it's you assume art, art, art is... in the sense of in the sense that you call like some, some someone does something really well and nice, and you're like yeah. this is art. 
So I think what a lot of people mean by art is maybe something worth doing, but often what they mean is, is this communicating some human experience to another human? That's often what people mean. But that, um, everything does that. Sure. Like, is it doing it on purpose, usually? Well, then, yeah, I mean... Most things are also doing it on purpose. I don't know. A lot of things the that film, aren't art do that on purpose. Sure. The, it's, film, it's, the film reference point is really the novel reference point, right? Like, it's the idea of art based on the, the novel, that it's character development, does it say something about the mm. human condition, which is like a 19th century, basically, bourgeois... Right. social construct right. what sure. art is right but that remains i think in the in the reference to movies right films yeah that remains the underlying yeah. social prestige yeah yeah model for what sure art is. but and the most interesting films don't do that <laughs> they do something <laughs> my, because the they are visual ever made my favorite film is uh i, I think i already said this in the podcast did I? Say it again. Anyway, it's a, I know it's cliche, but it's a George Orwell movie. But it's not. It's, it's not what you're thinking. <laughs> it's a George Orwell movie, but it's it's not. Uh, what's its name? Citizen K. Citizen K. I don't even remember the name. See? It's not that. It's everything. And the entire point of the movie, everyone should watch it. Well, the entire point of the movie is about art being bullshit. <laughs> The story is uh, goes around a series of art dealers who, instead of like forging paintings to sell them, like this is like I, I forged that Matisse and I'm selling a, a copy, a fake copy. No, they actually paint new Matisses. Um, and then and then put them in the market as like we've recently discovered yeah, this yeah. this lost this lost Matisse yeah. and and and, then, and so there's people specializing in painting Kandinsky's that are better than Kandinsky's and there's like a guy, like a guy that there's like my Picassos are better than Picasso's Picassos I I I can just do that but they don't count they don't have the aesthetic I mean they have supposedly all of the aesthetic value in it, but they don't have the market value. It counts as fakery, even though it's just a Picasso, but better. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's an original on top of everything. But it doesn't, it, but it, doesn't it, it breaks the logic of the self-justification of the art world. This is, but this is partly... partly uh... Which became a real story, by the way, because my mom sent me an email... A few days ago, with a news piece of literally someone who had just been caught doing exactly this, right. <laughs> and uh, putting in the market fake Kandinsky's that are as good as Kandinsky's Kandinsky. Well, the art the art market knows that all of this culture is only valuable as like an index of history, and the whole like what counts as art. Is, histor is historical mm -hmm. and it changes historically. So, like, if you yeah, do it's, it's it, like time travel films today, it's 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 valueless because right. it's not actually indexical right. of the novelty of Picasso right. in history. Right. Yeah. It, this is why I think it's exactly like time travel stories, where the time the past has happened and you could travel at some unknown point and do something, 
and go back and whatever we dis- discover it in the actual present when you come back. But there's only so much past to go back into. And this is what the, the art trade often is. It's like there's only so much time, even if you make a fake, there's only so much time Picasso lived where you could have fit another painting in. And that's your space of possibility, which, which seems really silly. Right. If you think of it that way, right. it, it's yeah. well, like, why, why, do, why does anyone even care? But I, I think, I don't know, it's like, what even is art? It, like, there's lots of ways to look at it. <laughs> to me, what, are, what, it's, what, even, what, even, what, what even is life? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think the fact that they're games is important. It kind of pisses me off how often they're games, compared games to Games is important, yes. Yeah. Yeah, like, the, the, no, they're not films. Unfortunately, a lot of game makers uh, sort of, really want the prestige of film and kind of copy film a lot. But that's not where they're at their best. They're an interactive medium. That's the important bit. What feeling does interacting with this thing cause in you, I think is a, is very interesting. And then and the, 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 more successful, can... the more successful they are at becoming more like films, the more intrusive the game part feels. Yeah. Like... Yeah. Suddenly, there's a quick time. Uh, so, suddenly, like I, I, suddenly, I have to kill ten zombies in the middle of this film <laughs> to know what comes next, what happens next. Yeah, exactly. And that is also and, and, and it feels there's... wrong. Yeah, yeah. There's like the other uh, the other side of it, right? There's like what people call walking simulators, because right. the games industry has its own thing. Like, is this even a game, as opposed to our games art? Sure. There's this whole debate of uh, are walking simulators games? Is there? Yeah, that's not, say like, it's you an experience. Can't, yeah, you can't die in them. So there's no. But, like, who who gives a shit? There's so many right. games you play in real life that children play with fucking sticks that don't have a fail state, and yet they list an experience because of their set of rules that is interesting to the people doing it. Like surely sure. that that's the point of of video games that they let you shared a kind of experience with other humans in a way that almost nothing else can. And there's lots of different ways to do that. There's like games where there's skill yeah. is yeah, extremely important. experience without other humans also. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of their main attractions. Sure. But even then there's a show, social aspect. Someone made that game and then lots yeah. of play, lots of people played it and then if the people that played it start talking to each other they will notice oh we all had a this is like of the experience we each had a lot of it is shared despite us being different people and a lot of it is different or whatever like that's interesting too there's this this fan clubs for things including specific games for a reason yeah i never understood how people like i see people with t-shirts for, for games like Zelda t-shirts mm. or whatever. Mm. And I never understood how, like I have t-shirts for metal bands, but it never occurred to me that I could, and that makes sense to me for some reason. Right. Uh, but it never made sense to me that a game would have that kind of cultural attachment. Right. Uh, that you'd be a fan in that way mm. until I played Dark Souls. <laughs> <laughs> Which has absolutely no overlap with you liking metal. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Not, <laughs> no relation. 
Now I would totally wear like a Praise the Sun t-shirt of some kind. Yeah. But like, are they, it, it, it's a silly question because if video games aren't art, m- almost nothing is. And Which it's is a pointless exactly question to ask. <laughs> right. Like art is, depending on how you define it, like in its, in its social economic sense, yes, almost nothing is art anymore because you can't make anything in, in capitalism that's worth doing and still survive. Like that's, that's the curse of us all for now. And that, that's what it is. Like games aren't special. They're just, they're, they're different and unique in certain ways, but they're not, they're all subject to the same economic and political forces as, as everything else in, we live in yeah. and with. So they're not going to be fundamentally different. And whether games and, or films or, or like escape rooms or art is kind of pointless. They all are or they all aren't. And we should be doing a revolution instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In conclusion, <laughs> art is bad. Games are bad. Architecture is bad. <laughs> o- only NFTs are good. <laughs> <laughs> NFTs reveal the truth in society and the world. That's right. That's right. Well, thanks so much, Lucci. We've gone on for, for, uh, for a good Thank long you. while. Yeah. A lot of fun. And um, back to labor organizing for us. Yeah. <laughs> Join a union if you haven't. Uh, maybe don't go in the games industry. There's a lot of exploitation you might not be expecting. But I don't know. Maybe maybe architecture is worse, so it's an upgrade. Yeah, I'm, kind of, I'm thinking like, who are you? Are you speaking to architects about this, or or to the general? Anyone. <laughs> if you're determined, you're all you're already going to do it, regardless of what I say. So it's too late. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's too late. Late. Join for, the for union, our audience, generally. For, yeah, for our audience, it's mostly too late. Yeah. <laughs> That's part of the gestalt of the like. I'm gonna say the uh, the general mood of the the podcast requires the kind of a certain doomerism because mm. like everyone listening <laughs> already knows they're they're fucked. We're they're too far. Already in. made. Yeah, it's 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 too yeah it's too far. Made. Now it's sunken cost fallacy and. Uh, uh, you, you know, our podcast is just about like reveling in in it. Yeah, it's a mixture of reveling and then like some some stuff about the actual struggle every now and then. Yeah, yeah. You need to bring people in somehow, right? The misery has to be the attraction, and then uh, yeah, it's dialectics as they call it in philosophies. Yeah. <laughs> Luci, do you have any uh, social media accounts or anything you want to share? Any any anywhere. People can... Do you sell products like we do? Yeah. Are you a, a, an internet hack like us? No, I, I, I'm insufficiently <laughs> online for that. Um, <laughs> but the IWGB isn't. So right. um, nice. if you do want to support the IWGB and implicitly all of the people you're organizing under it, uh, there's a website where you can become a supporter. It's called the Solidarity Squad. You can basically donate monthly to the IWGB. Mm-hmm. Um and if you care about game developers in the UK, that's a way to help. Uh, and you could also, I don't know, join a union, take over the state, uh, change society, um, 
that would help game developers a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's it's a slightly higher barrier to entry for that. <laughs> yeah, if you're a game worker, well join in the UK, join the IWGB and the game workers branch. Yep. You we'll have, a, you we'll now know who is your uh, secretary. We'll put a link yep. in the description. Yeah. If you're a, and if you join, you can worker. choose. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah. If you if you liked me, you can join the union and vote for me uh, next year. <laughs> or if you hated me, you can join the union and not vote for me. So it's exactly. you have an incentive uh, either way. Win-win. <laughs> and um, if you're an architectural worker, join the section of architectural workers of the UVW, which is basically the same deal as this, but in a, in a different independent union. Um, and if you're any other kind of worker, I don't know, I just like, oh, just go join check the... Patri- join our Patreon. <laughs> join our Patreon. Uh, and the IWGB organizes a lot more different types of workers, as you've seen explained at the beginning of the episode. So um, uh, it might organize in your sector, so go and check it out. Yeah, there's like foster care workers and yoga teachers and cycle instructors, all sorts. <laughs> Wow. There's a union for everything. <laughs> there you go. Just as there's a game for everything. <laughs> Probably that too. If not, somebody will make it eventually. Cycle Instructor Sim? 2000? That, that, those games exist. A lot of those games exist. Yeah, there's yeah. like Lawn Simulator, Lawn yeah. Care Simulator. Okay, Instructor Sim is going to be a thing one day. Yeah. With wonky physics. <laughs> All right. All right. Richie, thanks. And thank you, uh, thank you to all our audience. And uh, next episode will, this time for sure, <laughs> be about the labor issue of the architecture review. Yeah. Because we will now have less time organizing and more time to read about organizing. See you there. Bye. Bye. Goodbye.